I just want to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different now, isn't it? You know? It's kind of coming out more more into this meeting engagement of this community of the larger field of what's here in a different way where there's actually um, real people. <laughs> In a very different way. And so for a little bit I want to talk about um, how, how to integrate our life into our practice. And for a long time we said to integrate our practice into our life. But it actually is the other way around. How do we integrate our life into our practice so that our life actually becomes that practice? There's no different. That is our life. Our whole orientation is this moment to moment to moment, mindful awareness, whatever is happening. And here on the retreat, we really started to get a sense of these different formations of sitting and walking and lying down and standing and eating and working and taking care of ourselves and even some talking and all the different kinds of activities that we engage in, bringing that mindful attention to everything that we're doing. And so really all we're needing to attend to is just this moment, just this moment. More and more we can orient our attention right here. Not be so concerned about what happened in the last moments. Not to be so concerned about what's going to happen in the next moments where we, where we can so easily go into these patterns of hope and fear, kind of moving through our life in that, with that kind of ground of, of anxiety and uh, 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 anticipation, but there's more of a sense of, okay, I can attend to what's happening right now. I collect all of my energies, all of my attention, and put that right here in the moment. And there's quite a lot of energy. We can see that as we open up and settle in. We're pretty energetic beings. There's a lot of vitality. There's a lot of energy. There's curiosity. There's interest. There's willingness. There's courage to really just keep going. We can bring all of that along with us. Here on the retreat, sometimes we think that, well, you know, now we're going back into our real life. This wasn't our real life. <laughs> you know, now we're going back. But actually, this is also real life, right? I mean, what else could it be? You know, this is our real life. The only... <laughs> It's not like we've kind of, you know, gone through some kind of wormhole or something, you know? know? Here we are. And the only real difference is that we've slowed down. We've just slowed the whole thing down. That's the difference. And we've just simplified everything. We've come into a much simpler way of being with ourselves. And in doing that, then we get to see more clearly what's actually getting activated 
through the patterns of our mind and our reactions and our responses and our way of being in a way that we may not otherwise get an opportunity to. So when we leave here, it's not that we're going back into real life. What we're going back into is more complexity. This is very simple here to as much as possible. I mean, many people have went through quite a lot that we wouldn't say is necessarily simple. You know, a lot of inner complexity. However, when we go out, as I was saying this morning, we're entering into a larger field of complexity where there is that, that relationship that we've been in here has been mostly with ourselves, this relationship with ourselves and getting to know ourselves and understand ourselves, where there can still seem to be a sense of two, you know, me and myself, <laughs> even though we're alone here. However, when we walk back into the world, there's a real other. There's a real two. There's me and there's you. And it's not just our imaginary uh, fantasies and thoughts about the other. There is a real other there. (laughs) There's a real person there that we're actually engaging with in the moment. Not just one person, but more than one person sometimes, and groups of people, and actually the whole world. And so that starts to feel sometimes a little overwhelming in that complexity. And so much of the practice, too, is having this uh, understanding of how to simplify. In any moment, how can we simplify that experience by coming back to a simple breath, coming back to feeling our feet on the ground or just sensing our body, that in any moment that's available to us to, to stop again, to pause, to take a break, to just say, this, this is all I can handle right now. And sometimes whether that's through uh, heated uh, uh, arguments that start or conflictual relationships or we get tired or we're overwhelmed by all of our work, Whatever that sense of too much, (laughs) too much coming in, too much information, (laughs) sometimes we're we're saying these days, too much information. (laughs) I don't need to be hearing all this. (laughs) This age of information, right? And so sometimes we can just feel really flooded. And unless we can create some kind of boundaries with that, unless we can actually say, no, that's enough. It's all I can take. And so then we start to take care of ourselves in a different way. We start to be more sensitive to what's actually happening within our own being, within our own body, our own emotional life. And sometimes we can think that in Buddhist practice, you know, that it is this very altruistic kind of practice where you're really just thinking of others and caring for others and compassion for others and alleviating the suffering for all beings. And, you know, and women, I think, have a little bit more of a tendency in the caretaking and the nurturing and the helping. And, and it's just part of our, our makeup, part of our programming. So I think that we have to be very careful as women to set those boundaries, to be careful, to be watchful of that energy that goes out and has a tendency towards nurturing and merging, kind of merging with others, and sometimes losing ourselves, losing a sense of where we are, where we're located, and more and more kind of reclaiming that sense of, of strength and autonomy and 
uh, uh, knowledge about what it is that I actually need to help myself grow and get stronger and be able to engage more. And so it's really both. Sometimes it's moving out more into that engagement and sometimes it's pulling back. And wisdom takes both forms. Wisdom takes, wisdom responds to whatever is appropriate, whatever is needed. When we're really connected in the moment and we're really here in a full way, that wisdom comes through and informs us and says, this is probably the better thing to do right now. This is the way to respond right now. What, what's the most caring thing that I can do right now, whether it's for myself or for another? And so we're, we're more and more we're connected with that loving response, with that caring way of being as we're, we're, we're navigating through our life, moment to moment to moment. One of my colleagues I've mentioned, Stephen Batchelor, who's been a very inspiring uh, teacher and colleague for me, um, he talked about this uh, uh, kind of this way of life that we, we are uh, participating in here as practitioners. He calls it <clears throat> entering the stream that goes against the stream. Entering the stream that goes against the stream. And the stream that we're going against as practitioners we might call it the mainstream. <laughs> that mainstream, right? And you can really feel, it's not uh, an accident in a way that that's the word, because you, you actually, it's a really strong current culturally uh, of what we are being asked to do, what's expected of us, how we're supposed to be as individuals, uh, particularly in this Western kind of, uh, uh, North American and European uh, cultures, how there's a lot of expectation of how we're supposed to show up. And yet when we really consider what makes up this stream, this mainstream, what is it made up of? And I want to kind of throw that out to you just for a moment and just hear your response. What do you sense that mainstream is made up of when you have the sense that you might be going against that, that stream. What's your response? Breathe. Just one at a time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what was? Greed. Okay, greed. Right, so we've got that at the forefront. <laughs> <laughs> greed. Competition. Competition. Fear. Fear. An amalgamation of multiple aggregates for thousands of people that were on something solid. Can you translate that? <laughs> 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 we talked about various aggregates that eventually met a, um, manifest in something solid, and that stream, in some ways, is just lots of people creating personalities through these aggregates, yes. and that forms something Solid right, exactly. And it really seems solid and it seems real and we get caught in it and we flow along with it with some oftentimes, not we necessarily, but many people neglecting what's actually going on. Um, I call that the unconscious. Okay, unconscious. Mm-hmm. The, the, 
accepting of what is put in front of us, that that's what, you know, what we see is what we need to do, and just doing it, no matter mm -hmm. how uncomfortable it might feel when you're, you know, alone by yourself. So don't be alone, because gosh. So it's that kind of like, this is what you do, and you just do it, and you get through it, and right. you know. Maybe there's some glorious gate at the end. I don't know. Right, good, yeah. So I would call that kind of habitual. Kind of, it's, it's just habitual. It's just, it's just this movement of habit. Kind of automated, unconscious habit. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of just the general Western social structure. Ah. Which is what is not that? really... I'll, re I'll reflect. Right. And this box is called Western culture. Yes. So this kind of, a, it's a, a social structure that there's a certain expectation that will fit into that box of this Western culture and we are like this, social, as social beings. Right. And maybe not a lot of room for that uh, real creative, unique expression of our being. What else is in that mainstream? Lena and then... On the Yes, that's right. Those projections are in that mainstream. <laughs> Just one or two more. Yeah. I would say a delusional ignorance of the environment. Oh, okay. Yes. <clears throat> a real ignorance and kind of delusional ignorance of the environment, which means really our disconnection, right? That there's really not a sense of our, that is, that, that is me or that is, our, that is the same nature that flows through me. And there's just an ignorance of that. And so a real denial and an abusive relationship. Yes. Yeah, just, did you have one? Either, both of you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Eleanor? I was just going to say this emphasis on productivity. Yes. Can't stop, can't be, just do, 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 yeah. multitask, and Superwoman, Superman, productivity, do as much as you possibly can, get as much done as you possibly can. Ooh, does that drive us? Just drives us. And you can see that in the whole political environment, too. And what about hate and violence and aggression? You know, just how that's just running through and all the competition and the uh, aggression that arises through that. And Ah, just so strong and not really examined. And in Buddhism, you have the three, called the three forces, the three um, unskillful or tainted forces that run through the mind, basically greed, hatred, and confusion. Greed, hatred, and confusion. And we, we can look and see this, uh, the seeds of these forces within our own mind because that's what gets projected outwardly. It's all arising within our own mind. And then we act that out through our speech and through our actions. And this is unexamined. It, it becomes so believable. It seems like this is the way things are. It becomes very, very solid. And so when we come to um, this practice, we are questioning, we are examining what's actually moving through. What are the, what are the forces of habit 
that are animating me, that are moving me, that are, that are moving my body, that are moving my, my words right now. What's behind that? What's really coming through? Is there greed? Is there hate? Is there confusion? Is there the absence of greed? Is there the absence of hate? Is there the absence of confusion? And when we look and see what the absence of the greed is, we can see there's a kind of letting go. There's a, a kind of renunciation. There's a generosity and an openness when the greed isn't there. When there's the absence of hate, what comes through is this kindness and friendliness and love. And when there's the absence of confusion, what comes through is clear seeing and wisdom and connection and sensitivity. And so we're really looking at any given moment, what's really moving through? Because if we're not looking, what happens then is it becomes all about me. It's what I want, what I don't want, and then when I'm just asleep and I'm not even paying attention. So we really want to start to, as I was speaking last night, we're beginning to break apart, kind of break up the sense of who am I taking myself to be? when we start to look really more directly at this conditioning, at this habitual way of being, when we bring our awareness to that, we are going to feel the, the pain of that, the, the rub of that, the tension of that, because we're going to see the ways that we act habitually, unskillfully, the way we say things that just kind of fly out of our mouth and we go, oh, why did I say that? Hopefully there's some reflection afterwards. But unfortunately, we, can't, we don't have a delete button. You know, like we have, you know, when you're writing emails, if you're mindful and conscious, <laughs> you actually can delete or, you know, press the back, backspace, you know. But when we speak, we can't. It's out there. And it makes an impact. It has an impression. It, if, if it's unskillful, it hurts. We, we are sensitive beings and we get hurt if we're honest and we feel that. So if we get hurt, other people get hurt. And so more and more, we want to really be mindful. We want to be attending to what's coming out of our mouth. How is our body moving in space? How are we... How are we when we're with other people in our body? Are we kind of careless or um, uh, unconscious in ways that we're just heedless in how we are moving around in the room or uh, where we put things or or just even how how we dress or, or how we're taking care of ourselves? I mean, everything, everything comes into question. Everything comes into consideration. And we're turning towards this. We're, we're, we're inviting this examination. We're inviting this investigation. And that, that is motivated by our love. It's motivated by our compassion. It opens our heart of compassion because we, we want to live more skillfully. We want to live with more love. We want to live in a way that's not increasing the pain and the suffering and the hurt in the world. And this is the way we can begin to uh, disentangle 
ourselves from those habitual ways of being. This is the path. This is the path. And this path puts us in the process of an alchemical change, of a transformation, of an awakening. We start to wake up. We start to awaken to these um, unskillful and difficult habits and then transform them into a way of being that is going to uh, lead to more happiness and to more uh, peacefulness and more ease and more grace and more dignity in our lives. That's the way it happens. Stephen Stephen Batchelor said that we begin to refashion ourselves according to the Dharma. We start to refashion ourselves according to the way things really are, into that alignment with the natural law of things. We become more and more a manifestation of nature itself, this open, congruent, authentic, intelligent being that is in alignment with all of nature, that is already awake and conscious and um, compassionate and intelligent. As we start to disentangle ourselves from these forces of habit, everything is already in the process of transformation. We are already in the process of transformation but we just wake up to it and participate more fully in it. And by that bringing consciousness to the process, it actually accelerates the process of transformation. When we bring in more of the wisdom and the compassion, these are the ingredients that facilitate and make all of this much more efficient. I want to read this, uh, these words from Thich Nhat Hanh in his book, uh, Present Moment, Wonderful Moment. And he speaks of this process of transformation. He says, Garbage can smell terrible, especially rotting organic matter, but it can also become rich compost for fertilizing the garden. The fragrant rose and the stinking garbage are two sides of the same existence. Without one, the other cannot be. Everything is in transformation. The rose that wilts after six days will become a part of the garbage. After six months, the garbage is transformed into a rose. When we speak of impermanence, we understand that everything is in transformation. With meditative awareness, we start to feel and know and live that transformation. There's awareness of what is happening moment to moment to moment on a much deeper level. As the meditative awareness starts to really wake up, this is what we perceive. This transformation that is here, that is already happening, Before our very eyes, we wake up. That's why we call it, we wake up. The key to this transformation is that awareness brings choice. Without awareness, we are simply caught in the habit. 
we are simply on automatic and we don't have very many options if any when we're caught in our habit whatever that habit is whether it's addictive habit or speech or behavioral habits or uh, any way that that habit may be manifesting uh, the way we judge ourselves or treat ourselves um, whatever way that is unless we have some awareness we can't really bring about much change and we see this we can see this around us we can see it also in ourselves we see in other people how people repeat the same thing over and over and over again and ourselves sometimes repeating the same thing over and over and over even though we know that it may not be helpful or destructive or uh, not good for us there's not enough awareness there to actually start to bring a bit of change we just find ourselves just continuing to do the same thing over and over again so when we actually have some aware, a strong enough awareness and presence we can see that there are other options there are other choices here I don't have to just go to the top of the refrigerator where the brownies are and take that fourth brownie I can actually say no that's not actually a good thing for me right now to eat that fourth brownie so I'm not going to go to the refrigerator and do that I'm actually going to go for a walk actually I'm going to go for a run because I need some exercise so we start to actually see in a more comprehensive way what the healthier choices are for us we call them wise choices or healthy choices that awareness starts to expand options and we start to the more aware we are we may even start to consider options that we didn't even know we had it's like the world starts to open up for us as we start to tap into that that wise creative energy that we are anything is possible anything is possible we have it's you know that's why that that phrase the world is our oyster <laughs> you know it's like we really when we start to open in this way we're not just confined in a habitual way of being in our personalities it's it's remarkable what starts to become available to us we start to respond to the moment in an entirely different way again Stephen Batchelor it's probably not always so good to quote the same person but you can say see that I he does really inspire me <laughs> what can I do <laughs> he talks about um, when we are so much in the present moment there's the, this possibility of responding in an ethical way and a moral way in a way that really is very altruistic and loving and he calls this situational ethics and he's using this word because sometimes we can look for some kind of recipe like well you're I should do it like this or I'm supposed to be when I'm a loving person I'm supposed to be like this or when I'm a uh, a meditative or a spiritual person you know then I'm supposed to be like this 
You know, I'm not supposed to get angry. I'm not supposed to get into conflict. I'm not supposed to, you know, and we can have all these kind of ideas which then we try to shape ourselves into that person. And again, we're just being dictated by all of these rules and all of these shoulds and all of these ideas. And that's not really what it's about. But yet, when we actually can be more connected to reality, to what's actually occurring in the moment, then this wisdom comes through that is in response to the situation. There's no right and there's no wrong, there's no bad, there's no good. It's just direct response. We have a sense of knowing what's needed in this moment. This is what we're moving towards. When we can clear out those conditioned responses, and so much of it is around right and wrong and should and shouldn't and good and bad, we are, we are, we are, we are boxed in by that, that, those ideas. So I suggest throw those words out of your vocabulary. If the word right or wrong is arising in your mind, just say, no, I'm not going to use that as my frame of reference. If the words good or bad, I'm doing this good, I'm doing this bad, if they arise in your mind, throw that out of your vocabulary. It's not helpful. One of the things we start to examine is what's helpful and what's not helpful. What's going to lead to more liberation and what's leading to more bondage and more confinement? We can see that that's not the direction, the right direction. That's, that's going north when we want to go south. <laughs> so this choice is so key that we have choice. That's really the true liberation, the true freedom is around choice where we're not confined in this narrow way of being. On the Eightfold Path, we first have the wise view or wise understanding, so we're getting a sense of the territory of the ground. The second factor of the Eightfold Path is what's called wise intention or wise thought. And it's the second factor because this is, the, this is what informs all the other factors on the Eightfold Path. It's all around what's What's motivating us in any given moment? What is, what, is in, what, is, what is coloring that intention? Is that intention to act or to speak arising out of something that's going to lead to more pain and harm and suffering? Or is that intention going to lead us towards something that is more uh, 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 releasing or opening or expanding? So we're asking ourselves, what am I setting in motion at any given moment? So around addictions or food or smoking or drinking or whatever that, you know, when in that moment, when I feel that impulse, that intention we can feel as an impulse, where the body is starting to move into some kind of action or the the speech is starting to form into some kind of uh, patterning, if there's enough mindfulness if there's, there's a, a, a bit more slowing down, I can actually begin to notice that impulse that's going to move me in a particular direction. And if the awareness and the mindfulness is strong enough, I could actually stop that movement. 
I can actually stop myself from following that addictive behavior. It doesn't even have to be addiction. We just see the patterns. We see the patterns that are rising within our own mind and our own, you know, our own responses to our mind and to the situation. So this wise intention or wise thought, it may sometimes just come through thought. You know, I want to, it's somebody's birthday and I want to really do something nice for them. That would be an intention. That sounds like a good intention to follow. There's no harm in that. There's no pain in that. I'll follow that intention. Um, I want to spend the day in bed. And even though I have five meetings today, (laughs) I'm not going to go to any of them. Now, that may be a wise intention. (laughs) It may be an unwise intention. So again, we have to look at the situation. We have to look at the consequences. What will be the consequences if I follow that action, if I follow that through? We have some kind of a wider perspective. This is when we bring more consciousness, more awareness into our, our speech and our action and our way of being because everything we do is going to have a consequence and that's what we're setting in motion and that's what shapes our reality. Someone said, if you want to understand your present moment, if you want to understand your present moment, Look at your past, because that's what set, got set in motion. If you want to see your future, look at your present, because what you're, whatever you're setting in motion now is what's going to give shape to your future. So that's why it's so important to really pay attention, because you can participate in your reality your future reality. You can participate in what you're actually setting in motion, what you're giving shape to. So in Dhamma, in Dhamma practice, hopefully, as you walk the path, these intentions start to become oriented towards awakening, towards liberation, towards compassion, towards wisdom. And so we want to look to see where are we placing our intentions one of the places we encourage you to place your intention is around your sitting practice so that you take the time in the day, take time for meditation, take time to carve out a period of time where you're stopping, where you're sitting. Hopefully you have time in the day where you can actually come into the meditation posture because the meditation posture is immediately going to remind you of what you're doing. That's like this form is an association for the inward turning and the quieting down and the paying attention. So if you can actually get into a meditation posture every day, you're doing yourself a great service. I recommend that people sit for at least 20 minutes because it seems that it would take that long before the, so the more superficial restlessness of the day can begin to settle down, and you'll get a little bit of time where you may feel some of the calm, some of the tranquility, but maybe not. No expectation, but you are getting into the form. You are, your intention is set in the right direction. 
If you can sit for 45 minutes, that's even, op- that's even optimal, that's even better. But you have to be realistic about what's really possible for you in your, how, depending on how your day is uh, shaped. Some people are very busy. And so, but you want to see if you can have some time in the day for stopping. I think of meditation as stopping. You just stop the whole thing. Stop that momentum, that current that is just running through the day. And then we just stop. Even if it's sometimes just standing in the line at the supermarket, just stop. Feel your feet. Feel your breath. Maybe send some loving kindness to the people who are running around in their craziness. You know, just... And, and yourself, who's running around in your craziness. <laughs> just stopping for a moment. Taking that breath. Feeling your feet on the ground. I'm so aware of my habit to always... In, when I'm standing in the line at the supermarket, my habit is to see what line is going to get me through the check, the check first. And I'm just like looking. Where's the shortest line? Where's the shortest line? And then if somebody gets hung up with a check or some kind of bill or something and I'm sitting there getting impatient. I want to get through the line. (laughs) And so stopping and feeling and sensing that impatience and taking it as an opportunity for some meditation. Also, another important aspect is our sangha, is community, having like-minded friends, having groups where you can go and sit with friends and meditate and hear Dhamma teachings and, and uh, th- going into that sacred space where it helps you remember, remember what's important. Going to teachings, hearing teachers, and going to retreats, day-longs or classes or coming back to doing more retreats wherever you can, when you can having the intention for awakening, the intention for liberation, setting up your life, maybe making some changes in your life that are going to be more supportive, that are going to be more helpful for you to remember. It's all about remembering. Following a thread. This is from William Stafford. There is a thread you follow. It goes among things that change. But it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die. And you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding yet you don't ever let go of the thread. Don't let go of the thread. And so you need to, for yourself, get a sense of what is that thread that you can hold on to, that, spe- that can- keeps you connected to the spirit, that keeps you connected to your vitality of awakening. What's going to help you remember So I'll just end with this one more poem that I love from John O'Donohue called For a New Beginning. In out-of-way places of the heart where your thoughts never think to wander, 
This beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you were ready to emerge. For a long time it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness grow inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the gray promises that sameness whispered. Heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground. Your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. The world is your oyster. (laughs) So let's just take a a little bit, maybe 10 minutes or so, just to find out if there are any last questions. And I'm going to include Allison in that, if there's anything you uh, (laughs) want to ask either one of us. Uh, Yeah, let's turn that off because we don't have a microphone to hear people, so it's not going to record anyhow. Thank you for remembering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.